Welcome back to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Shannon and I have Dr. Peyton with me today. We are going to be talking about stretching and our opinions on stretching from kind of like what her and I have learned separately from clinical standpoints. We both have different trainings outside of physical therapy school that allow us to kind of have a unique position on this. So we want to get really nerdy with this conversation and talk about kind of like what stretching is and isn't doing for your body. Are there places for stretching? Can stretching be dangerous and hopefully give you some really good applications and some, some reasoning for why to, or why not to stretch. So welcome Peyton. Thank you. So excited to be back. Yay. Okay. So let's dive right in and talk about what is tightness because a lot of people want to stretch because they feel tight. So Peyton, tell us what tightness is and why we feel tight. Yeah. So tightness is a very subjective thing. It's not something that is measurable with a device. Um, So when people say they feel tight, it's truly that it's a feeling. It's a sensation in their body and it can come from many different things. But a lot of times it's been and the mechanism of it is our brain or our nervous system doesn't feel safe, or maybe it feels vulnerable in a certain position. And it creates at this tightness, quote unquote, tightness within the muscle to protect you from moving through certain ranges of motion. So ultimately it's a really subjective sensation, um, that people tend to complain about pretty often. I like to compare tightness to pain. They're kind of similar, like pain is totally subjective. You cannot measure it. And everyone's experience of pain will feel different. And just like pain, tightness is a warning sign. It's just your body going, Hey, like we're not stable in this range of motion back off. Just like pain. Like if you, if you like step, step wrong on your, on your lay, or if you step on a thumbtack Mm -hmm. and you feel that pain, we got to take action. We got to lift our foot, get away from that pain stimulus. Tightness is kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I think is really interesting about tightness is because it's subjective, because we can't measure it, there's a big difference between tightness and range of motion. Yes. Hyper mobile people who can do crazy contortionist things with their body can feel tight and can experience tight, but it doesn't mean that their range of motion is lacking. So I think that's something that's really important to kind of say. Yeah, it is. And range of motion is something from like the PT side of it. And when we were treating, that's something that we, you can measure very, you know, pretty specifically, pretty objectively with something like a goniometer, which is a measuring tool. There's different ways to measure the range of motion of a joint, as opposed to tightness would be something like a subjective scale, like on a, you know, one to five scale what, how tight do you feel type thing? Um, so range of motion is a very objective measure that we can utilize in practice, um, to see, to kind of, as one of our tools for analyzing and assessing the joints specifically. Yeah. And I think it's important when we get into this conversation that we talk about range of motion because someone's range of motion might be different than someone else's. And so based on like how their bones are structured. Some people have the hip structure to be able to like go into, you know, 
more external rotation or more internal rotation. Some people's hips are just different, different. The bones are shaped differently. So what we always did with, um, in muscle activation technique is instead of comparing ourselves, okay, your leg, everyone's leg should go to this degree, should lift up to this degree. We compared every person against the opposite side of their body. So it's comparing instead of saying, oh, both of your legs are tight. We're comparing, okay, your right hip turns out like this, but your left hip only turns out this much. Okay. Maybe there's some range of motion deficits at your left hip. So you, so I think that's important to talk about bilateral versus unilateral range of motion. It's interesting too, because both of us going, having gone to PT school first and then going into these continuing education options, you with MAT and me with Postural Restoration Institute or PRI, um, they, they're, they're not contradictory to PT school. They're complementary, but it's just different. When we're in PT school, we learn, like you're saying, what's called norms of a joint. So this is the, you know, this is at the exact degree or the range of degree that we expect a joint to go into, as opposed to with MAT, it sounds like it's saying, okay, we don't really have to focus as much on the norms per se. We can think more about like, what is normal for your body? Um, is that right? Is that kind of how yes, exactly. And then when in the PRI world, it's interesting because there are sets of norms. However, they tend to be not, they tend to be pretty different between your two sides, or you expect the ranges to be different between your two sides and, and having what's what we would call an underlying asymmetry based on our organ asymmetry. So our, our internal organs, it's kind of funky. It seems a little woo woo, but it's like, it's very anatomical, but our internal organs are very different. We have a really large liver on our right side. We have three lobes of the lung on the right side as compared to two on the left. Um, we, we have a lot of things going for our right side. So we tend to be, we tend to be right-sided people, even people who are uh, left-handed tend to be right-sided based on this organ asymmetry. And that can then distill down into differences in ranges of motion between like your two hips, for example, or your two shoulders. So it's, it's pretty interesting stuff. I think it's a really important point to make. Like we shouldn't expect ourselves to be symmetrical because our organs are not symmetrical. And yeah, I think that's a really important piece to make, but that said, like there is even given the fact that we will have some level of asymmetry, you know, range of motion can be a function of something underlying going on at the muscular level Yes, and, you know, muscle activation technique. We were taught that a lot of times range of motion deficits will be if they're at the muscular level, instead of just from like natural asymmetries, a lot of times it'll be a cause of instability. Mm. Again, when your nervous system feels safe, it will tighten you up in order to protect you from moving through ranges of motion that could potentially harm you. So the reason for instability, so tightness is a, is a um, function or a cause of instability or range of motion deficits are a cause of instability. And instability is oftentimes caused by several things. At least this is what we learned in MAT school or MAT program. Stress, trauma, overuse, and dehydration are kind of the primary four things that will cause instability. So stress can be emotional stress or physical stress. And what's so interesting is that they manifest similarly in our bodies. 
it's, it's a chemical reaction. So when we experience stress, our muscles will be, um, affected. Yeah. So I think that's really interesting. And then trauma is like getting in an injury, falling, breaking your leg, whatever overuse is something that, you know, Peyton and I often saw in the clinic, which was people just doing way too much of a certain movement pattern or like cycling, running, or working the same muscles too often, like working their abs every single day and having instability in their, in their trunk area. So overuse and then dehydration is a big reason also for instability. So dehydration to me can also mean some nutritional deficits, um, perhaps like mineral deficits, something that I'm not an expert in. So I don't necessarily want to get into that, but, um, all of these reasons could be underlying why you feel tight or why you are lacking range of motion. So I think this is really important for us to talk about because Peyton and I both, as we were, um, in the clinic treating patients, we were looking at, okay, what is the cause of your range of motion decrease? Or what is the cause of your tightness? Let's not just treat the tightness because tightness is a symptom. Let's look at what's causing it. And when we can clean that up, then you might feel like your range of motion improves and you feel less tight. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And what's interesting when you were listing off the different things like stress, trauma, overuse, dehydration. That's something that stretching in and of itself probably won't address or won't get to. So it's, it'll be interesting for us to kind of dive in deeper into what, what can actually get to those different things. Um, yes. what we can do to make long-term changes that aren't just trying to fix tightness itself, but really get to these underlying causes. Yes. So that leads us to the next thing. And I think it'll be interesting for both of us to talk about our experiences because we didn't really touch on this in the intro I showed up. Peyton is certified in postural, in the Postural Restoration Institute, PRI. And I'm certified in muscle activation technique. And it's interesting because there's differences between these two techniques, but there's a lot of underlying similarities in that, like, we want to improve stability. We want to improve your neuromuscular mapping, which we're going to talk about. So I think it'll be interesting for us to kind of both touch on and pull from our experiences in the clinic. Um, so then let's get into what improves tightness. So what will improve your tightness? And we kind of touched on this just a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay. First I have to clarify one thing. So the PRI people don't come after me. I'm technically not certified and it takes like four to five years to get certified. It's a, it's a super rigorous process, like application process. It's a, it's a really cool thing. I have a great friend, former coworker who is a PRC. So she's, she's certified in it. Um, but what I have done is taken all of the primary level courses and then some of the secondary level courses and most most PTs or whoever you are, who's taking it, take them all multiple times and then go to, to the Institute and like do the whole testing process and all that. So I just have to clarify that I am not certified, but it's how it's like the practice. I treated at a clinic that was a a certified clinic. Um, Got it. Okay. Just so the people don't come after me. I love PRI and I respect it very much. Yes. Uh, yes. On to your question of what improves tightness. Um, so what we found from a PRI perspective, and then what we now find too, with what we do with Avlo is it's all about establishing stability and 
being able to establish that stability through specific muscle activation. So from a clinical standpoint, identifying those muscles that we have less of an ability to contract or that we don't have um, as much of a connection with, and then going into these different activation activities to improve that connection. So then therefore we increase our stability. And then we would often find that that would would cause someone to say, oh my gosh, my upper traps don't feel tight anymore. Or my hamstrings don't feel tight anymore. What the heck? I, you have given me no stretches. And in fact, you've told me, please do not stretch. So what is going on here? Um, so it was all about that muscle activation for, for us. And then for you as well. Yeah. That that's the same with MAT. Like it's like when you can learn how to contract your, the muscles that are bringing your body into a certain range of motion, when you can learn to contract those more effectively, you'll be able to move into that range of motion with more ease. It'll be more comfortable. It'll be more controlled. And when you can improve your stability, the idea is that you, you will have the amount of functional mobility that that bony structure dictates. So like you won't be moving through too much range of motion, you know, hypermobile people are are at a high risk of injury because they aren't able to control ranges of motion, which is very important in something like strength training. You have to be able to control the ranges of motion. Otherwise you can injure tissues. So that is ultimately what Peyton and I both um, like have in common is that stability improves your range of motion. Cause when your nervous system feels safe, yep. I like to use the example in MAT use this a lot of walking on ice. So like if you're walking on ice, you feel on um, your body senses danger. Like you feel unstable. You could easily slip and fall and hurt yourself. So if you've ever walked on ice or like slippery substance, you have to, everything tightens up and it just happens reflexively. Like your whole, you know, your arms get closer to your body. You take smaller steps, everything feels tight. And then once you get on solid ground ground again, you kind of loosen up and that's your nervous system telling you, Oh, we're unsafe. We're unstable. Let's tighten everything up so that if she falls, we're ready and we're, we're prepared to deal with that. Um, so I think that that's, I think that that's really important to understand that when you can improve your neuromuscular education to your muscles, your stability or your stability improves and then your range of motion improves. So let's talk a little bit more about that kind of brain mapping thing. So Peyton, tell us really what's happening when you're improving your stability from a brain mapping standpoint, and then does stretching also improve your brain mapping? Great question. So with neuromuscular re-education and what we are, what the goal of that is to create a better connection from the brain to the muscle and then getting a little bit more into the weeds with it. Within our brain, we have specific areas of our brain that are responsible for knowing and identifying where different parts of our body are, where our different muscles are. Um, And they both from a motor standpoint and from a sensory standpoint, homunculus, homunculus, (laughs) little homunculus. And you can Google that too. It's it, they have some funny graphics and images like to help you remember it and all of that from all good times in PT school, good times, but yeah, it's not, it's not like woo. -woo, It is literally parts of your brain that are more connected um, and that are responsible for connecting to different parts of your body. And so typically a lot of times what happens when we're trying to do new, 
neuromuscular education is because we've lost that connection. We've lost either like actual um, inventory within the brain, like literal mass in the brain of where, uh, of where that part of the body is held responsible for, or we could also lose the connections from the brain to the muscles in the form of neurons, um, and, and not having as strong of pathways to there. So neuromuscular education, meaning how can we find a way to appropriately contract that muscle, by going into more and more contractions, we're able to build back both the space within the brain that controls it, as well as the connection from the brain to the muscle itself. So that we're then better, the brain is then no longer, your nervous system is then no longer having to say, okay, I don't know what's going on here. So I'm just going to get tight because if I'm tight, then I'm protected. I don't have to really worry about what's going on. But if we're able to map it out, for ourselves and say, Hey, this is where this, the hamstring is in place, or this is where whatever muscle is in place. And our brain doesn't have to, or our nervous system doesn't have to tighten out of fear. It doesn't have to restrict us because it has an appropriate level of understanding of where that brain is and where that muscle is in space. And this is why strength training can be so good at for mobility. Yes. And one of the, one of the reasons why we're always harping on flex your muscle, create that brain to muscle connection. Even if you're not lifting heavy weights, don't just rely on the weights, like use your brain, improve that neuro mapping, because when you can improve your muscle function in different ranges of motion and your stability, then your range of motion increases because your brain has a better motor mapping of that muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think of it of like filling in it. It's been there in the past and then you're just like filling the lines back in. Coloring book. (laughs) Love that. Um, And then, well, what about stretch? Does stretching improve motor mapping? So, typically, it does the opposite. So, whenever we're trying to activate a muscle, we're able, or sometimes we'll even use in class, or we'll tell people like tap on that muscle, get the mechanoreceptors activated, get get the different um, get the different cell bodies within your, your muscles, within the tendons activated. So that again, helps with that connection and helps with that mapping as, so that helps proprioception of where that, that muscle is in space, as opposed to when we're stretching, we can actually decrease that proprioceptive awareness so that we're, we're actually going in the opposite direction. Um, and that's why we would find often people who were, were really, really hyper flexible would have a much harder time activating those muscles because they lost a lot of their proprioceptive capabilities by being in an overstretched position. And you could try this for your, or the audience can try this for themselves. Like if you do an, a really aggressive hamstring stretch, like let's say you're laying on your back and you're pulling your leg towards your chest and you're pulling as hard as you can, getting to the end range of motion passively, which means you're using your arms to do it. And then if you were to let go of your leg, your leg would probably not be able to stay in that position, yeah. which means that you, you don't have the active control to be able to stay in that position. Yep. Um, and I think that that's important to understand is like, what is the point of a bunch of flexibility if we can't control those ranges of motion? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think 
something that the audience can try right now to, in regards to this, this is a little application is that if you feel tight in a certain area, a lot of people feel tight in their hamstrings, um, which I know from a PRI perspective is a whole different conversation. Maybe we'll do a podcast someday, but um, yes, seriously. Um, If you touch your hamstrings, so you have like different, uh, you have different hamstrings, several different hamstrings. If you were to touch your hamstring, are you able to just without moving your body, just like contract that hamstring? And are you able to grade it? Are you able to contract it? One out of 10, two out of 10, three out of 10, 10 out of 10, just like at the snap of your fingers. And if you're struggling to contract your muscle just by touching it without moving your bones, it probably means that you don't have a great motor map to that area, which could be one of the reasons why you're feeling tight, right? So it just, it's just, and you could do that for any muscle in your body. Like a lot of times people's backs, like if you touch your, like right next to your spine, your paraspinal muscles, are you able to flex those muscles and contract those muscles? And if not, it's like, oh, well, that probably means your motor mapping is is muddy and you could improve that to ultimately improve your range of motion. So I just thought that was a cool little tool that people can use to kind of check for themselves. So let's, let's talk more about, we talked about a lot about tightness and I think the audience probably starting to understand that we're, we're not huge fans of stretching just to improve tightness or just to improve ranges of motion. But Let's talk about what stretching is doing from a neuromuscular standpoint, because I think it's important to know that muscles don't have a mind of their own. They're controlled by your brain. They're controlled. It's an input output system. Um, so what is stretching then doing? Cause stretching can improve flexibility. So what is it doing from a neuromuscular standpoint? Yeah. Um, so one way that it can operate or that it can help to improve um, your flexibility is this idea of relaxation and allowing the the body to relax into these different motions, allowing your nervous system to to shift more into your parasympathetic nervous system. So your rest, digest, recover part of your nervous system. Um, So that in and of itself can improve your flexibility, whether you're stretching or not. So even in doing something like meditating or doing a a specific body scan or Shavasana. Um, So that then coupled with what's actually happening on like a physiological level. um, One thing to note is that it's very important to note that muscles don't get longer as a whole. So there are fixed points based on how you're born, based on your genetics. So you're like for your hamstrings example, they start at your ischial tuberosity, your butt bone, and they bifurcate and come down and and attach on either side of that posterior aspect of your knee. And you're, you're not going to change those two points with stretching. Um, but what can happen with stretching is within the muscle tissue itself, you've got what are called sarcomeres, um, and you can change the relationship between the, um, between the myosin and actin within the sarcomeres. Um, they can get these, these entities can get longer or shorter themselves. Um, so that can contribute. That's how you can how stretching can actually change your flexibility or how your, your flexibility can improve because you're, you're working on it at that level, not on the whole muscle itself, if that makes sense. So yeah. Like a misconception, don't you with like different like yoga or Pilates or different things of, Oh my God, this is going to make you so long and lean. It's like, you, 
they're fixed points, they're rigid. Yes. As you're getting a transplant of where you have an insertion of a muscle, it's that part is not changing. I think it's the term itself that's confusing because stretching indicates like stretching a rubber band or something like that. Whereas really muscles don't stretch much beyond their fully relaxed point. Like if at all, I think there's like, there's conflicting research about that, but muscles for the most part don't stretch beyond their relaxed point. So with stretching, you're learning to fully relax a muscle. Yes. And that might improve your flexibility, but again, can you learn to fully relax your muscle without putting it into this like deep, potentially stressful position? So I think that's, I think that's like a good thing to differentiate is like, are you necessarily stretching the muscle or are you just learning to relax it more effectively? Yeah. And, and I think one of the big things that we can do to, to improve how we're able to relax muscle is learning how to contract it. So having that ability to contract the muscle is going to directly impact our ability to relax it Yeah, Um, because we just have more of that awareness. We have more of that control over the muscle when we're able to contract it and then can can more instantaneously relax it on. Yes. I always say in class, a healthy muscle is able to fully relax on demand and fully contract on demand. So again, another application that you can use is if you feel like there's an area of your body that feels tight, um, or even an area of your body that you're struggling to, you're like training, but you're struggling, the muscles aren't growing there. It could be a motor mapping issue. So like touching that muscle and learning and doing this frequently throughout your day, like learning to fully contract that muscle, just like snap your fingers, fully contract it, hold it for a few seconds and then fully relax it. And getting really good at both contracting and relaxing. And I guarantee you that um, you will have better gains in your workouts because you have a better motor mapping and you'll, you'll probably feel more mobile. Yep. So we kind of touched on this, but I think, and we're going to talk about for those of you who like, what, I love stretching. We're going to talk about there, there can be a place for stretching. And we're going to talk about kind of like our recommendations for that. So we'll get there. But I think one of the things that's, that we saw in the clinic a lot is that stretching can oftentimes be used as a band-aid because again, you're addressing the symptom of tightness or decreased range of motion, of motion rather than looking at the cause. Right. So is there anything Peyton that we didn't already touch on that you want to kind of discuss here from a PRI perspective? Yeah, this one for me is big. So I think that oftentimes stretching is used in order to try to make up for a routine or a program that's overusing your body, which we mentioned in the beginning, overuse is one of those underlying causes of instability and therefore tightness. Um, and so if you're, if you are doing a super rigorous program, that's a lot of involves a ton of plyometrics or a ton of hit or a ton of compound lifts, um, it's very possible that your body is feeling tight all the time. And so it's very normal and natural, uh, and has been taught and emphasized that, oh, just go stretch or foam roll or, you know, X, Y, and Z. The stretching has always been a big one of, oh, do this because that will help. And then that's just how it is. That's the price you pay for doing these exercises and and being fit. You're just going to be tight and you need to stretch. And so I think that step one before I would, I would recommend before anyone implemented a stretching program would be 
let's take the stimuli out of it. So take the stressful stimuli, whatever it is, it could be multiple, it could be the training program, it could be learning how to better handle your environment through meditation, through relaxation, whatever it is, take that out first, give your body time to kind of shed that element and then reassess, okay, am I still feeling tight? And if I am, before I personally would start a stretching program, I would want to have someone evaluate me and see me and say, okay, I've taken these like global things out of the equation that we now know can cause a lot of tightness, taking these things out. And I'm still having tightness in this area or tightness in this area or whatever it may be, or chronic tightness, because we're all going to get tight at some time. Right. But so going in and seeing someone, I think this is where the experts can really come into play, going to see a physical therapist or going to see another provider who specializes in this to say, okay, evaluate me where am, where could I actually benefit from stretching? Because I think that we, we get this or we've gotten this before of like, well, my PT is telling me to do this. Your PT has evaluated your body specifically, and hopefully they've talked to you about these things of taking out overuse, taking out these things, gotten you into a position where they're then able to evaluate, okay, what is there a structure that is actually shortened? Do we need to actually work on this or is it, is it something else? So yeah. And I, I, I think that's important to say, because yeah, if your PT is giving you something in an exercise, we are not saying don't do that. Right. And I think like a good PT as well will not just treat your tightness. They're going to look at you from a whole. They're going to say, okay, you're feeling tightness in your hip flexors. Well, we determined it's because, you know, you're not firing your low back or you're not, you're not able to fire your like obliques or whatever it might be. Like they're, they're not just giving you a stretch because they're like, this is your tight area. Just stretch that. So if you are seeing a PT, make sure that you're seeing someone who's evaluating you as a whole, they're evaluating your movement patterns. They're looking at, um, what could be other reasons why you're tight. They're not just giving you stretches and sending you on your way. I think that's important to kind of touch on. And from a PRI perspective, when someone would come to us, not from a traumatic injury or surgery, those are very different cases. But if someone's coming to us just with general pain or general tightness and, and anyone who really came to us, we always took a full head to toe evaluation and, and without getting too deep into it, we all, we looked globally at like what was happening at the rib cage and what was happening at the pelvis and then all, all the muscles that spur from those. And once we were able to get people into uh, what we would call a more neutral position from a rib cage and pelvis perspective, that was then when we assessed, okay, is this person still having limitation in their range of motions? And a lot of times they wouldn't like for, for me, for example, like I am one of those people who would be categorized as super unflexible. I was told my whole life, you need to be stretching all the time. I grew up dancing. It was always like my major quote unquote limitation. Um, and so when I like started treating in this way, and when I got the opportunity to treat in this way, I kind of played around with it myself. And I'm always, I'm someone who always had really tight hamstrings and could never touch my toes unless I was spending hours and hours, like going into these big stretches and hurting and not feeling good in my body. So when I learned how to appropriately activate my hamstrings and then have these techniques where I, I could get into these positions and activate the hamstrings, then I can easily touch my toes. And the same applies today. 
Like if I stood up right now and tried to touch my toes, I probably couldn't do it, but give me one or two rounds in a, what we would call a 90, 90 of activating my hamstrings. And then I can touch my toes immediately. That just tells me like, I don't need to be stretching my hamstrings. I need to be doing more activation of my hamstrings. Yes. Yes. You need to be improving that motor map. And I, I found the same thing with MAT, um, you know, in PT school, we were taught like stretch, stretch, what's tight, strengthen what's weak. And again, I'm not, I'm not saying that that is, there's not necessarily, there might be a place for that. Sure. And sometimes, but I cannot tell you how many people that I worked with where they would come to me because they're, they had hip tightness or hip pinchiness or knee pain. And we would work, I wouldn't even touch their knee or hip and we would work on their trunk and their knee pain or their um, hip tightness would go away. And it's like, and you didn't even, and they're like, what? Like, this is like voodoo magic. And it's like, no, it's because we gave your, the knee pain was a symptom of something else. The hip tightness was a symptom of something else. And so when we gave your nervous system, no, you can contract these muscles. We gave, we improved the motor mapping. We improved the stability elsewhere. A lot of times your mobility will open up across your entire body. Um, cause your nervous system feels safe. You've stepped off the ice, so to speak. So you can yeah. all of a sudden, like, you know, feel, feel looser in your movement. And I think that's the problem with stretching is a lot of times we are like, okay, my hamstrings are tight. So I'm just going to stretch my hamstrings. Well, your hamstrings might be tight for a totally different reason other than just at the muscle itself. Right. That's where the issue lies. When we go to that as our first line of defense, as opposed to trying to get to the nitty gritty of it. And then it, it could be, it could be that you have tightness or like true, a true lack of range of motion there, but we won't know until you uncover some of these pieces by both taking out the stressful stimuli and then maybe even seeing someone after that, if it's still not yeah, in the place. Definitely. You treated as a physical therapist before you learned all this PRI stuff. So what was yeah. your, what was the difference in the way you treat and the outcomes that you saw? I cannot even express the differences. I got a solid two years of treatment before implementing PRI techniques, and then a solid two over two years treating with this PRI lens. And I felt I like wanted to go back to so many different cases that I saw in those first two years of treating and be like, I would approach this in such a different way. Now I could help you so much better. And of course there were, like, I still, I I was doing the best I could with what I had in those first two years. And I was, I worked really hard. I was really passionate about it. And I do believe that I helped people, but I I think that for, in terms of long-term with these kind of chronic cases, long-term solutions, I I was able to find more long-term solutions with a PRI lens when I was really getting to the root of it and not just giving someone a stretch, as opposed to when I was treating more in the, in the stereotypical fashion. And then they'd, they'd be like, Oh, they're feeling great for a few months. And then they'd come back in. Um, and they were sweet to come back in, but I, I just, I, I think back to that time and I'm like, dang it. But that's, that's life, right? We, we do what we can with what we have. Then we learn new things. We see how it plays into practical application. I was lucky enough to get to treat at a clinic that specialized in this. So I was able to have the time. It takes a lot of time to do this sort of thing. And most people who operate in this fashion have to work at a cash uh, as a cash-based practitioner where they can see someone for a whole hour. Um, so I just got, I got really lucky in being able to treat this way. And I, I definitely can't recommend it highly enough. Um, and I know you feel the same way about MAT for people who are having 
pain and issues that aren't resolving with taking out these stressful stimuli. Yeah. Because I think yeah. it can make such a big difference and then set you up for such, such success for the long term. My goal as, as a PRI provider was always to never have to see the person again. That's, that's the goal. I love that. I, I, I had similar experience with MAT. Yeah. yeah. Like much, much more effective treatment looking at how can we improve mo- essentially motor mapping other than how can we just put band-aids on things. Yep. Um, so is there, is there a reason why stretching would be dangerous? What is your experience with that? I, I would say yes. I, I think that in my experience and in, in the experience of a, a lot of people I know, the hypermobile patients were the harder ones to treat. So uh, like using specific groups, for example, like dancers were, were very hard to treat, especially former dancers who were maybe in their like thirties and forties. And they wanted to maintain this flexibility that they've always had. They were some of the harder ones to treat. So, and, and both from a mindset perspective, because they were like, no, I've been taught my whole life that being flexible is injury prevention or that being flexible is safer. Like this is going to do me good in the long run. So it, it would be a lot of conversations and a lot of education of explaining, like whenever you have this hypermobility, kind of what we've already explained of the brain mapping, where we don't have control over those ranges. And when we don't have control over those ranges, we're putting our joints and the connective tissue within the joints and surrounding the joints at risk for, for injury, uh, because we don't have that stability and that connection. So it was always hard, both from a mental standpoint and from a physiological level to reestablish that, that connection with the muscles and with them accepting that I promise I'm not just trying to take your splits away, but it's, I can do a lot better for you. If, if you work with me on getting more, more stable in these positions. Yeah, I think, I think we're taught that endless flexibility is healthier or that endless flexibility is an, is a marker of, you know, good mobility. And that's not necessarily what we want. We don't necessarily want these extreme abilities to go into extreme end ranges of motion, especially if we don't have control over that end range of motion. Um, Like the example I used earlier, if you, if you pull your leg as far as you can towards your chest and then you let go, can you keep it there or does it fling back? It's like, so then we're potentially putting yourself into when you, when you, when you are stretching, especially stretching aggressively and you are increasing your range of motion temporarily, you put yourself into a vulnerable position, especially if you're not working on stability following your stretching, right? You, you've now opened yourself up to a range of motion that your body was trying to protect you from for a good reason. And again, the reason might not be because you were inflexible. The reason might be because maybe there's a bony spur there, or maybe yeah. there's a little, yeah. maybe there's a little hip labral tear that you don't even, that's not painful yet, but your body's like, oh no, we don't want to go into that, that we don't want to do the splits because if we push it just a little bit too far, like that hip labrum is going to tear or whatever it is. Like our body is very, very smart. So I think just bypassing our central nervous system's ability to pick up on those things and just like stretching into extreme ranges of motion can open us up to vulnerabilities. Yep. Great point. Um, are there certain stretches that we definitely are like, okay, we don't recommend these stretches because not all stretches are created equal. So from like a physi, from an anatomy perspective, let's talk about stretches that we don't recommend. Yeah. I would say any, 
any stretches as in general, any stretches where you are allowing like a majority of your body weight or your load to push you into the stretch further, I find issue with those. So giving specific examples, that would be like a pigeon in yoga where you've got one leg is one hip is externally rotated and your uh, the other leg is straight and behind you. And you then you're lying over that leg that's bent. So you're, you're not only putting a lot of load and a lot of pressure on the knee, but also the hip. Um, and so you're, while you are stretching the, the glute region is typically the target there. You're also putting your joint structures in very extreme positions and then adding load on top of it. So pigeon is definitely one ones like lizard where you're stepping up. Um, on the outside of your hands and really pressing down into, um, into that hip of the leg that's in front. Again, you're, you're just putting a lot of load into that hip that you most likely would not be able to hold actively. Um, yeah. And the back hip too, like you could, yeah. like the, it, cause it's supposed to be like a hip flexor stretch. A lot right. of times it's a hip flexor stretch for the back leg yes. and you're forcing yourself into hyperextension of that hip which is a lot of times where something like a hip labrum might be vulnerable. Right. Right. And getting even to thinking of that, like compression of the SI joint on that side. So on the backside uh, of the joint and in the low back and just getting just ickiness there unnecessarily. And again, the hip flexor might not be the issue. Yes. Yes. And splits like frog, anything where you're like really forcing your body position and you can't grade it as much. Like you can't back off as much because you're using your body weight. Yes. Um, that's a a good way to think of it. Yeah. When you're not able, cause it's hard to like, while you can like lift yourself up from a pigeon or from splits or something, there's, there, there's a level of not having control over it because yeah. it's your body weight. You can't yes. you can only lift so far out of a, out of a stretch as yeah. opposed to, you know, something that maybe we'll talk about later on and ones that we do recommend, but yes. But yes. Really- and I, I think like I, I was trained in um, yoga and taught yoga for years and still do teach my own kind of form of yoga now. But, you know, I think we were taught to do, like postures like up dog or like cranking twists or like triangle where again, you're really kind of cranking your body or collapsing into these postures and they feel, they can feel really good. And especially if you do them more often, your nervous system gets used to it and you feel like it feels like this pleasant sensation almost. Um, but again, when you are collapsing into these postures, we not we might not have control over it. You might be stretching and stressing tissues like labrums, like connective tissues that you actually want to be tight and intact and not frayed up and like compressed. Yep. Um, so something like an up dog, like that's why I always did Cobra instead of up dog. If you're going to do a twist, like a seated twist, not using your arms, like crank yourself around, but like getting there actively without using your arms and then just putting your arms down and just hanging there or like a try, even like, um, standing triangle for the hamstring, like not just like dumping and reaching for the floor as hard as you can, like activating your obliques a little bit, like allowing light contraction in your hips so that you can be more stable in those positions. And, and that just tends to be, it tends to be safer. Yeah, I agree. Um, Okay. So we talked about kind of our case for why we're not the biggest fans of stretching. And this is 
again, for the general public, we already talked about like, if your PT is giving you a stretch, amazing. And there might be a place for stretching. So let's talk about, is there a place for stretching and kind of what we recommend for the general public, just trying to be fit and feel good. Yeah. I think for those, you kind of pointed to it earlier, but for those people who really enjoy it and find it to be like almost a calm and calming and meditative practice, there can absolutely be a place for you. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things just to, to keep in mind with that is that finding the balance between like finding that calming sensation, finding the, the relief and the relaxation without pushing it too far. So it's in which I think saying, saying to do it as a calming or meditative practice in and of itself kind of lends itself to saying, obviously you're not pushing past anything because for anyone who's stressed, you know, when you get to a certain point, it can become rather painful or uncomfortable. So as long as you're not pressing into significant amounts of discomfort, I think that it can be, can be okay, especially if someone really enjoys it and it's their, their form of meditation and their form of kind of calming themselves down, letting themselves decompress. I think that's one instance. I always say like, if you're going to stretch, um, if 10 was like my muscles about to, my tendons about to rip off my bone, like this is extremely uncomfortable. And one is like almost nothing. I like to say like, stay in like two, three, four, like just, it's barely anything. It's really relaxing. You're able to hold it without a ton of effort or strain. Like if you're pushing it so much that your, you know, your heart rate starts to increase, that means that you're triggering sympathetic, your sympathetic nervous system, your fight or flight. Right. And that's doing the opposite of what we're trying to do, which is calm, improve parasympathetic drive, things like that. So I think like staying at that two, three level, two, three out of 10, do you, how do you feel about that? Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. When you're, when you're bypassing those levels and going up into the upper ranges, you're definitely going to go into sympathetic, into fight or flight, which defeats the purpose of using it as a, as a calming modality. Yes. Where else could there be a place for stretching? You know, sports. sports, yeah, it's because I'm sure that we'll, we'll hear that or I've heard it in the past too. And just with treatment, it's like, well, I am, I'm an elite gymnast or I am a, a, a competitive dancer or whatever it is. Like I have to have this flexibility. Yeah, you might, but you're it's a risk versus reward. So you have to be able to do it in your sport. So there's probably, you're probably going to have to stretch in order to, to gain that flexibility, maintain that flexibility. Um, but you also, I think it's important for parents to know the risk, uh, too, of like when their kids are in these, in these types of sports of what it could look like for the future. Like I can, I can just speak for my sister and I don't think she would mind me saying this, but she was an elite gymnast super, super good. Um, and has like much more significant amounts of like chronic low back pain from all, you know, being hyper flexible, there, being hyper flexible on her hamstrings, things like that. And it's taken a lot of years of shifting out of that. And a lot of time of doing Evlo, thank goodness of, of, of getting her out of that. But that's something that she did. I mean, she stopped it when she was like, 13. She was really young. Um, but she hatched, it was the nature of the sport. You have, you have to do it. Now I think it's getting better and better in terms of, 
I think that these sports are recognizing, okay, we not only have to have flexibility for these, for these participants, but also they need to be able to control these ranges. So there's a lot more strength and conditioning involved nowadays. My sister is in her thirties, so things were different then. Um, but I, I think that that's just something important to note. Like, yes, you'll probably need to stretch if you're doing these, these types of sports, but it, it would be nice too to balance it out with some good stability. Yes, definitely. Like learn how to be stable in those extreme ranges of motion if you can. Yeah. Um, I think another place, again, we briefly touched on this, but after surgery, if you're rehabbing for something, there might be a place for stretching. And we, this is, again, this is for the general public. This is not like, please everyone listen to your PTs. If your PTs are giving you stretches, please listen to that. But yeah, especially um, if you've had surgery, if you've been casted, anything like that, your, your tissues have been put in a place where they are, have been shortened. That's a, that's a whole different conversation and more of a rehab conversation. So listen to your provider for sure. Yeah. What about like improving flexibility as you age? I feel like this is a, I feel like this is a, not a controversial one, but it's interesting to think about because I think that so there's studies that show that we lose mobility, we lose flexibility, we lose function as we age, but we also know very well that we lose muscle mass. Uh, and, and that's like everyone, it just naturally, as you age, you lose muscle mass. And so if you're losing muscle mass, you're probably losing the ability to contract that muscle because you're losing real estate there, which decreases your brain body connection, which then your brain would probably want to restrict your motion and make you tight. So for me, I'm like, I would much rather kind of kill, almost kill two birds and continue to be able to strength train throughout my life. Um, and however that looks throughout my life and to have a really solid program where I'm able to connect with my muscles where I'm able to continue to improve my muscle mass and decrease tightness that way. And so then I'm not having to just do endless stretching as I age while also not reaping the benefits of strength training and having muscle mass. So it's like, why not, why not build the muscle mass and help yourself with two different things, your mobility and your, all the good that comes from maintaining your muscle mass as we age. Yeah. Well, and a lot of flexibility is hormonal as well, especially with women. Like when you're younger and you have different hormones, you might be more loosey goosey than when you're post-menopause. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. As long as you have the functional mobility that your bone structure dictates, that's what we care about. We don't care about being able to do the splits when you're 65. Right. It's that's important to note too, I think. Yeah. Um, let's see here. I'm looking at my notes to see what else we need. Should just quick, quick discussion about, should you, should you stretch? If you're going to stretch, people want to stretch. Should they stretch before or during or after their workouts or let's talk about that. I think if anything, you, I would, it would be more towards the end. So I don't recommend just hopping into an exercise without doing anything. Um, but like in Evlo, we always have breath work and warm up to start. And our warm ups in, include more mobility, which is active. We're staying in active ranges. We're warming up through the joints, going th- into different motor patterns within the joints, um, but definitely not uh, passive stretching in this, in that instance, because your body isn't warm. It's not warm for stretching. It's not warm for exercises yet. So doing at least mobility before 
doing your workout. And then if you're craving some stretching, just like we talked about some like low intensity stretching where you're not pushing into any significant pain, maybe at the end, as we say, like you can turn the video off. We're doing Shavasana. Um, once you've completed your Shavasana, if you want to take time, then that could be a great opportunity because your body has just really, you've really activated through your muscles. So you're getting more of an accurate depiction too, of what your true range of motion is. Uh, so then you can say, okay, well, I could work on this, this, or that, as opposed to if your body's not warm you're and you haven't activated your muscles, you don't really know it. It's, it's, it can be different day to day. So that yeah. would be my recommendation. Yeah, that and like, there's some conflicting evidence about this, but there's lots of evidence out there. And so we're not sure we're not for sure, but there is evidence that stretching can temporarily decrease your motor output. So if you're stretching before your workouts, you could potentially be less stable during your workouts, which is not what we want. So that's why we always say like, whether or not that's true, let's just err on the side of, well, it's not necessary always to do a workout unless again, you're doing like a sport specific workout where you need more flexibility to like do a high kick or something. Right. right. Um, but like just for gen- the general public, we don't recommend stretching before your workout, just in the case that it could potentially decrease stability and lead you more susceptible to injury. Yeah. And I think that goes back to that decreasing of proprioception, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it, it all ties back together is we're, we're stretching, you're potentially decreasing your motor output because your brain doesn't have a good idea of where that muscle specific muscle is in space. So it's yeah. Um, not necessary for the general and trust and believe that you'll never see a high kick in one of my classes. So don't <laughs> worry about it. You see some kicks in mind, but they're low. That's true. That's true. <laughs> they're low. <laughs> and only in the cardio classes. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that pretty much covered it. I, I think, you know, if, if you want to stretch and you love it and it relaxes you and it feels really good um, after your workouts or maybe before bed would be also a great time to do it when you know you're not going to like, you know, have to go on a, do something physical with your body, um, and low into keep it like low intensity, really relaxing, breathe. And, um, we recommend keeping it like pretty open chain. So open chain means you're not using your body weight to like push yourself deeper. So for example, laying on your back and a hamstring stretch with your leg towards your chest, or, um, what, what would be another example, Peyton of it? Um, so, so bringing like, instead of a pigeon lying on your back and bringing the slightly externally rotating, or maybe just crossing like over the other, and then bringing the legs in towards your chest to get a glute stretch that way. Yes. To crank, you know, being over your body and pigeon. Yep. Yep. Those are some great examples. Okay. That was a lot, everyone. I hope that, I hope that this stuff makes sense. I think, you know, Peyton and I listened to, um, the Huberman lab episode about stretching and we both are big fans of the Huberman lab and of him and everything that he talks about. Um, and he brought up a lot of the literature around stretching and the problem with like research, research is amazing. And we want to be as evidence-based as possible, but the problem with a lot of research is that there's not necessarily applications with research. So they just do a study, but they don't necessarily give you the practical applications. So a lot of times as practitioners, we have to look at research and then draw applications that seem to make sense from that research. 
Um, so it, it gets a little subjective as far as like creating applications. And so what we wanted to do is we wanted to talk about like our perspective as clinician when we were clinicians and this whole perspective of tightness being a symptom and how like, okay, if we improve our stability, if we improve our motor output, do we really need to stretch? Do we really need to take a bunch of extra time stretching? Cause in that podcast, he was talking about, you know, stretching, he gave it like a protocol, which was stretching pretty much every day. Yep. Five, um, five times a week, five minutes total a week for a particular muscle with static holds about 30 seconds, Yeah, 30 seconds each day, five minutes for each muscle. Yeah. So that's a lot. We've got a lot of muscles. Yeah. It's a lot of time. And I, it was, it was interesting too, because you mentioned in it that he didn't have a particular protocol that he, he hadn't adopted one himself. And this is what he synthesized from the research. Um, but so he was really talking about the, the, how to include static stretching or how to include what is best from a stretching perspective to include and improve flexibility, but he didn't touch on the why you might be tight in the first place, which is one of the main reasons we had already planned to do this podcast and it worked out very well time-wise, but one of the main things that we wanted to jump in with and we wanted to contribute as to, okay, but, but why, why are you tight in the first place? And then maybe evaluating, do you even need to do that once you take some of these things out of it? Um, so it was a really, a really great listen. I, I would still highly recommend listening to it. Um, and then maybe listening to ours and kind of seeing what feels right in your body. Totally. We're always like, no one, there's not necessarily a right or wrong. And maybe someday we'll like decide, oh no, let's go back to stretching. Maybe, sure. You know, like I reserve the right to yes. <laughs> change our mind as more convincing evidence comes right. out, as we learn more. I mean, that's like, to me, what anyone in this industry should be doing is the more you learn, the more you change and like not being afraid of being wrong and things like that. So we don't want to see, say that someone's right or wrong. It's just kind of giving our perspective and our reasoning behind why we don't spend a lot of time stretching. Yeah. And that goes back to our, like looking at ourselves as like baby practitioners and how we treated at first before we knew more information and, and grew and changed that way. So we're always learning. We're always growing. That's our, like one of our biggest passions here at Evlo is understanding the research, synthesizing it, seeing how it works in our bodies and then growing with you, with you all. Yes. Yes. Beautifully said on that note, I hope this was interesting. Um, there are eight free classes in the show notes. So if you want to try our method and if you're feeling like you're overusing your body, or if you're feeling like you're doing exercises that aren't stimulating muscles effectively or hurting you, um, try, try Evlo and see how it feels. You can take those classes over and over. So I think that is it. Peyton, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. I loved it. All right, everyone. We'll see y'all next week.